Welcome to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. This is your forum for exploring and discussing challenges that are faced by public and nonprofit leaders. And now, Leadership Matters. Welcome to another edition of Leadership Matters, the show that aims to support the leadership development of current and future public and nonprofit leaders. Each episode is designed to inform leaders and inspire solutions. I'm Tom Wall, and I'll serve as the moderator of our discussion today. I work with the Alliance for Strong Families and Communities and for the Strategic Change Initiative. We work together to help organizations to strengthen and transform themselves to assure a more successful future. With me today as our guest panelist is my good friend, Rihanna Absar. Rihanna, would you please introduce yourself? Sure, Tom. Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm Rahana Absar. I am the Associate Director of the Center on Leadership at the Alliance for Strong Families and Communities. Outstanding. It's good to have you with us. And today, Rihanna and I are proud to have as our special guest one of the rising stars in our field, Adair Mosley, the Interim President and CEO of Pillsbury United Communities in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Adair, it's great to have you with us today. Would you please introduce yourself to our listening audience? Um, thank you for the opportunity. Um, as stated, Adair Mosley, Interim President and CEO of Pillsbury United Communities. I'm deeply honored to be here to share my um, leadership journey um, with the um, listeners today. Thank you. Fantastic. Thanks so much. Adair, you had an interesting route to get to your present position as Interim President and CEO. You were a guardian ad litem for Hennepin County and a Commissioner for Civil Rights uh, with the City of Minneapolis. How did these two important positions shape your thoughts and help you to establish the values and goals that have guided your work with Pillsbury United Communities? Absolutely. Well, um, I've been very fortunate that my work hasn't looked like the linear kind of trajectory to leadership and that I've been able along the way to have some invaluable experiences that I think have shaped uh, my thinking and the way that uh, me personally and the sector needs to lean in to make sure that our families um, are living in thriving communities. Both of those positions to me really um, provided proximity. Um, to what it means for our families that are especially entrenched in either inequities or our poverty um, to have to encounter the systems um, on a daily basis. And many of those systems that are set up to uh, continue to exacerbate many of the inequities that exist where they're unintentionally doing that. Um, and it also allowed me to really look at um, the institutional racism, frankly, that um, mm -hmm. exists in many of our systems and how the power structures and those dynamics continue to um, uh, um, prevent our families from moving forward. And I think when we take a step back from that and we really analyze those systems, we then um, try to figure out... Um, intentional ways of working through those and dismantling um, those structures and systems. The other thing it's done for me, it's really allowed me to be a voice, a voice for those who can't often and many times speak for themselves, whether it's young children in our um, child protection system or those that have had their rights infringed upon. Um, it allows me to be that voice, to be that advocate, and uh, try to bring their um, 
them back to the center of this work. And, and so I've been very, very fortunate to stand in the gap between um, the system and our communities in very powerful ways that I think has really shaped um, and guided the work that we do here at Pillsbury United Communities. And, and that's frankly anchoring ourselves in humility. Sure. That's wonderful. When did you begin your work with Pillsbury United Communities, and what brought about your move from the public sector to the private sector? Yeah, so I've bounced around a little bit kind of um, uh, between the two, Um, but about uh, six years ago, I came to the um, Pillsbury United Communities after have serving on the front lines, um, both in the public sector and in other nonprofit organizations, advocating for families. And really, again, as I stated before, being, being that voice. And then an opportunity came um, in, in Pillsbury United Communities to work with our uh, former president and CEO, Shonda Smith-Baker, and working mm-hmm. very closely with her. And um, it, it was a position that I took that um, didn't quite look like the rest of the positions and at the time was not in my career traje- trajectory. Mm-hmm. And that was actually a, a position um, as uh, an executive assistant. And so uh, I, I know we'll talk about this a little bit later, but it was taking that position that I think um, allowed me to see the work um, from a different lens and work with a very well-respected leader within the sector. Sure. Sure. What positions have you actually held with Pillsbury United Communities since you joined the organization? And how have those positions help to prepare you for your current responsibilities as interim president and CEO of your organization. Yeah, absolutely. So as stated, I, um, I remember um, I was working with someone, Shonda and I had a, a mutual acquaintance, and um, they were saying, well, Shonda's looking for this executive assistant. And I go, I'm not an executive assistant. That's not what I do. (laughs) (laughs) And and I remember meeting with Shonda, and um, she said to me, uh, I'm really not looking for an executive assistant. Granted, there are some administrative things that certainly need to be able to get done, but I want to structure this um, position in a way that it's a thought partner in this work. Mm-hmm. And um, since the day I walked into the organization, that has been what it has been about. Um, and me having a seat at the table, being able to offer um, and push back and uh, challenge in a very constructive way that continues to move the work forward. And then um, about a year or a half into that role, it shifted into a chief of staff role as I was starting to outgrow some of those roles and responsibilities. And um, that chief of staff role allowed me to continue to see a broader view of the organization and flex my muscle in different areas, Mm -hmm. um, flex my leadership muscle in different areas. And then... um, Two years down the line after that, as I continue to kind of grow and catch on really quickly here, um, <laughs> uh, my work really started to point towards innovation inside of our organization and mm-hmm. saying, what are the ways that we can solve these uh, social kind of co- complex issues um, that don't look like programs and services, and how can we lean into community in a much different way? And that role um, uh, from chief of staff developed into a chief innovation officer. And so I've been very fortunate um, as I've uh, then stepped into the role of interim president and CEO to be in an organization that allows me the flexibility to be able to move within that organization and get the skills um, and the uh, training and the overall um, development um, that has uh, positioned me well for the interim president and CEO. 
it was very, I was very fortunate to have Shonda as a leader um, because I learned the role of CEO with her. Mm-hmm. As, she, as she was coming in, um, having served 11 years in other roles inside of the organization but, and um, was a new CEO. So uh, the proximity to, to the work looked a little different for me as she, um, many of these things we were um, co-creating as we were going along. So all of those things, um, have, the convergence of all those have really positioned me um, to take the role of interim president and CEO. Well, Shonda's kind of a legend uh, in our field. Uh, why don't you talk for just a minute about the kinds of things that you learn from her? Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things, I, you know, I, I've certainly learned that leadership is not about position or title. And that at kind of everyone, and no matter where you're at in organizations, can have the opportunity to lead. Um, I've also learned uh, that it's about me empowering people and creating the conditions for innovation and um, good thinking to emerge. And I think that's one of the things that Shonda did really well, um, continue to put me in positions of stretch um, that allowed me to aim for something bigger and really continue to allow me to stretch all my muscles um, around leadership. And so I've been very fortunate to have someone who's just been able to pour and invest a lot in me. And uh, because of that, I'm able to kind of uh, reciprocate that to, to, to um, new leaders in this organization and people that I see coming up, um, and I'm trying to intentionally create space for them to be able to grow within our organization and uh, make sure that they have an intentional pipeline inside of this organization, as sure. though I did. So those, those are a few, few takeaways. Outstanding. What areas of leadership have you identified as being the most important for you to continue to develop as an executive leader? What have you found to be the most unique challenges of executive leadership? Yeah, so the the very tech, uh, technical skills, certainly, um, we can all learn, right? It, it's those intangibles that I think I'm continuing to um, develop as a, as a leader. Um, mm-hmm. And those things, to me, are just being authentic in this work um, and having people see that I can sit in a place of vulnerability and not feel threatened um, because I am being vulnerable, and I think that that, that allows for a space of kinship to happen. Um, I've been uh, trying to continue to develop this just decisive yet thoughtful decision-making mm-hmm. and recognizing that if I don't have that, how my lack of um, indecisiveness uh, will really affect the organization and stall innovation, will stall process. And so I've really been practicing to make sure that I I can be decisive in my decision-making and responsive. And then, you know, I'm continuing to, again, flex my leadership muscles around empowering others to do great work. And I I see that as something that's really important um, for executive leaders. I'm, I'm really practicing around being present. And I think presence says a lot um, when leaders are fully in that moment, giving their time and attention to uh, projects and staff um, that are able to remove the other distractions because there are so many distractions in this work. And the idea of around being present is important as I continue to develop as this leader. And, you know, I just want to, my kind of um, asking good questions and making sure that I'm 
giving thought to them and uh, pushing people to go back and think and be bold and be bigger around their work. Um, I found some of the most unique, uh, one of the most unique challenges is that as you move through this space of leadership, uh, having people really understand that you do share their passion and commitment around the work Mm -hmm. and that much uh, my experiences because I've all of a sudden became the interim and CEO, I have not forgotten what it means to really serve people. <laughs> and Excellent. I think sometimes the staff will see you as a, um, as having a disconnect mm-hmm. um, from what's happening on the ground. So we've had to constantly, I've had to constantly remind people that I see this every day. I live in community um, that are experiencing many of the equities that, inequities that we're trying to fight against. And so I just wanted them to see that I know I can see it from a different perspective. Um, We're all trying to tackle the same issues. We're just sitting at different seats around the table uh, Mm -hmm. now, and there's a little bit of shift there. So those are just some of the things that I'm taking away as I move through this um, leadership journey. Well, you know, most folks, when they get servant leadership, they had a number of role models for that, uh, that they have uh, been fortunate enough to come up with. Who were your role models for servant leadership? Yeah, I've been um, fortunate to be around so many people from going back to teachers. I look, I, I, I re- had great experience with teachers. Um, my mother is a servant leader, so I certainly look up to her. But in the field, um, you know, I see Andre Howard as being someone, um, uh, there's an absence of black males in the sector. Mm-hmm. And um, I see him as a, you know, a gentle giant really in this sector and someone that I've leaned heavily on and watched, um, both up close and, and afar. Um, and then there's local, uh, local folks here in the sector that I just really have been um, fond of the way that they've moved through this work um, in leading um, from a very intentional place. So uh, the list is quite long in terms of people I'll have to thank. Uh, on my acceptance day, but uh, so, but yes, so. so. Well, that's a wonderful note for us to end our first segment. We have to take a short break. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. White. Her email address is drwhite at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. Does your organization lack proper leadership? We're not necessarily talking about experience, but about how to face the changing dynamic of leadership today. Sometimes the people we lead know more. Old ways don't work anymore, and the comfort zone just becomes too easy. 
Listen for Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. We'll show you how you can adapt and develop your leadership skills to today's workplace. Every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to leadershipmatters at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. We're back. I'm Tom Wall, and with me is Rihanna Absar, and we're speaking with our special guest, Adair Mosley, the interim president and CEO of Pillsbury United Communities. Before the break, Adair was talking with us about his career, what he did before joining Pillsbury United Communities, and the positions he's held since joining his organization. Adair, Pillsbury United Communities has over 170 employees, six neighborhood centers, and eight social enterprises. Can you describe the work of Pillsbury United Communities and what are you trying to accomplish and how do you go about accomplishing your goals? Yeah, so I'll try to boil all that complexity down into something that's, that's <laughs> certainly uh, manageable here. But um, our work is uh, organized around um, kind of impacting capacity. And the impact work is um, five focus areas, education, youth and family, wellness and nutrition, employment and training, and asset creation. And so all of the things that we do feed out of those, um, those focus areas. And really what we have is a gap-closing strategy. And uh, the first gap that we attempt to close um, within the communities we serve is the belief gap. And that's the idea that um, in order to move anyone um, towards an upward trajectory, they have to believe in themselves, and the person sitting across from them has to believe in them. And, um, and, and all, of those, all of that work is really tied towards um, uh, having outcomes on the back end. We get to how we do the work by using a process of human-centered design, which I know the Alliance has started to lift up as well, um, mm-hmm. and saying putting those end users at the center and core of the decision-making and empowering them helps us to come up with very relevant strategies that helps move them in their lives. Um, we also uh, do have an intentional focus on the capacity side of, of the work, and that's evaluation, communication, leadership, technology, and finance. And those are uh, really the strategic areas that we've deemed necessary in order to have great impact in this organization. And much like the same process that we use on the impact side, we start to look at the gaps that we're trying to close, and we come up with strategies that will help us meet those outcomes and be having forward-thinking approaches and a deliberate kind of linking of people programs and kind of systems and policies change around the work that will all have kind of equitable outcomes. Uh, our work is really um, interconnected, 
and uh, we, because we understand that people in their lives don't come to us kind of siloed, and oftentimes where there's the prevalence of one issue, there's other things that are happening in their lives. And in order to be able to fully move people, we have to be able to systemically and wholly work with the individual. And so we've really been trying, to, um, fearlessly been driving towards that in this organization. Um, nope. When all of those and things come together, sorry, uh, oh. the goals that we're really trying to uh, accomplish, um, lofty here, but it's that what are the conditions that people are thriving in their community? And what are the things in each of these focus areas that we need to do to make sure and ensure that people are thriving? And we get there again by using human-centered design, so it's a solution that's driven by them. Wonderful. What have been the greatest challenges that Pillsbury United Communities has faced over the last few years, and what challenges do you see that you're going to have to address in the years ahead? Yeah. Um, Our our greatest challenges um, oftentimes become our greatest opportunities. And so while we are seeing certainly funding um, restrictions continue, and this won't be new to to the listening audience, Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, certainly the resources are dwindling and up. Um, we've seen a decline in over our, our United Way giving. Um, last year, the organization experienced a 10% um, reduction, um, mm-hmm. which uh, kind of vertically eliminated some programs within the organization. Um, as we've moved towards having more government contracts and fee-for-service, and, and the Lions was, uh, you know, it's great having the Lions have a national scale because they forewarned a lot of organizations in terms of what was coming. Um, and so... Uh, that has positioned us to, uh, to really have a, an inability to manage cash in, in an effective way. And mm-hmm. so uh, many organizations, and Pillsbury is no different in terms of thinking about payroll <laughs> and thinking about how are we going to manage these expenses and, uh, sure. and still do quality work. And I see those things, you know, even as we go into building out a 2018 budget, that those challenges continue to be... Um, uh, at, at the horizon. And, but what it presents for the organization is an opportunity to tell a different story. And I think we can use the collective of this sector to continue to push back um, against policymakers and um, uh, the public sector in particular around how they need to structure and completely play for programs. So I think there's an opportunity there and there to kind of go to the mountaintop with our narrative. Mm-hmm. And, and scream that. But it's an also an opportunity for us to be in pushing us to think innovatively about what are the programs need to look like in this organization that really um, are set up for sustainability. Beautiful. Good. You're currently involved in leading a very ambitious project. You're overseeing a $6.7 million capital campaign. The project involves the development of a grocery store and wellness center in North Minneapolis. Tell us about this project and how it aligns with your vision for Pillsbury United Communities. Absolutely. So, again, I'm going to boil three years of work into about two minutes of, <laughs> of a statement here. But North Market, North Market at the core of it is a, a grocery store, and it's in a community of North Minneapolis that lacks access right now to healthy foods and nutrition. But it's also in a community where there's a high prevalence of chronic disease, um, such as you know diabetes and cardiovascular disease. And so um, people are not connected into um, primary care in the way that they should. Um, and so at the core and center of it is a, a 
16,000 square foot grocery store and an additional 5,000 um, square foot that accommodates a wellness center that's operated by a local health system here, North Memorial. And in the organization, we often say that we're really building our sixth community center because it is a place for us to be able to break down the walls of isolation um, and oftentimes the things that divide us around race and socioeconomic status. It is a project that is um, really, really close and dear to me as I've been um, with it since conceptualization. But it falls really in our asset creation area of the work and saying that we are um, in an opportunity of building assets in low-income communities. Um, It's a business venture that um, serves as a new way for us to offer um, programs and services to a community and really anchored in um, relevancy. Um, Mm -hmm. As we this idea emerged from us listening intentionally to community around what they what they were experiencing, and typically Mm -hmm. how we've responded in the sector to that is you know we come up with programs and services, and so we are uh, disrupting that by responding differently. Additionally, uh, this project goes upstream. And it goes upstream to really look at the social and physical environments that are driving health outcomes of a community. And we are, are, again, fearlessly trying to disrupt the systems and the policies that continue to perpetuate poverty. And so I am, you know, thrilled to, to be leading this work. Um, around bringing this um, tremendous asset to the North Minneapolis community that will put fresh food um, in the reach of the roughly 67,000 residents that live here. That's wonderful. You're you're a graduate of the Alliance's Executive Leadership Institute, and you recently completed a certificate in human-centered design at Stanford's prestigious Institute of Design. How has the learning from these leadership initiatives helped you in your work? Yeah, so both of these experiences, and in particular the Alliance's ELI program, um, has propelled me into leadership. I remember walking into the ELI um, and, again, having a very forward-thinking um, CEO at the time and who, who herself had went through the program and knew the benefits um, that it could do for your career kind of trajectory. And so it broadened my knowledge base around this work. It um, forced me to really think um, divergently about how we can um, change the inequities within our communities. And I think it really equipped me with the skills and tools that I needed to be a successful leader. Um, I, I was just really thinking about, uh, thinking about that experience, and I think it, it does such a great job of bringing such a diverse group of nonprofit leaders across this country where the best learning can happen. Um, in that space. It it really is a collection of the best thinking in our sector and people who genuinely want to see you get to your next level and how do you get there. Um, And so I walked away from that experience um, at the ELI um, bringing many of those tools back into the organization. And I think it was a catalyst for me um, in my leadership and um, allowing me to strengthen the muscles as a leader and building kind of my own internal capacity. So that experience, uh, highly recommended to leaders, and um, we've continuously sent leaders inside of this organization to experience the ELI. The human-centered design process at Stanford was, again, another tool that I could put in my toolbox 
um, as we have been an organization that have started to really embrace the human-centered design process and um, having the, the name recognition of Stanford um, behind you and saying that you were trained there, I think, brings credibility to this work. And uh, when, when I went to that, we were only one of the few nonprofit sectors in, um, in the room. So uh, we are needing to push this further into, into the sector, but we are happy, um, my colleague and I um, went, and we're happy to um, be leading this here in Minneapolis, especially around um, as it's a new thing to nonprofit organizations. And it's really allowed me to understand the process in which a community can own a solution and develop it all the way through to kind of high resolution and bring it to fruition in their communities. And I think North Market is an example of that. Outstanding. Stay with us. We have to take another break. We'll be right back. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. White. Her email address is drwhite at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. If you're looking for an in-depth, thought-provoking discussion about leadership, tune in to Bernard E. Robinson's The Leadership Forum, Making an Impact Through Effective Leadership. Each program provides an intelligent, conversational experience about leadership from Bernard, his guests, and you. If you're interested in improving the quality of leadership in your organization, listen live every Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time for the Leadership Forum on the Voice America Business Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to leadershipmatters at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. We're back. I'm Tom Wall, and with me is Rihanna Absar and our special guest, Adair Mosley. We'd like to take in this segment an opportunity to turn it over to Rihanna Absar to discuss some change leadership issues with our guest. Rihanna, it's all yours. Thanks, Tom. Um, yeah, so the Alliance's Center on Leadership um, really focuses on change leadership by way of um, a model called the Revolutionary Leadership Model, um, which really focuses on four capacities, um, individual capacities of a leader, the cognitive, behavioral, 
and spiritual and emotional. And so one of the questions, um, Adair, I'd like to ask you is, you know, as a leader, you are you have to get things done day to day. Um, there's a lot going on, a lot of tasks to um, do. And so, you know, we all come into this work, um, well, most of us come into this work, you know, um, trying to make a difference, trying to um, create change. And so my question for you is how do you kind of keep that, you know, initial reason why you kind of came into this work, um, that vision, top of mind as you also do everything that you're doing, which is a lot. Yeah, so I I stay grounded in many different ways around this work. And um, it's funny, I have a a colleague here in the organization who always reminds us that um, we are not the customer. <laughs> as we're as we're thinking through this work, but uh, you know, part of it is um, uh, I have a, a mother who who doesn't care what title you have, <laughs> who, who, who will always keep keep me very grounded. But I'm I'm so grateful for that relationship and knowing. Um, uh, that someone can be that real with me as I work through this day-to-day. The other way um, that I am, and so this is me being vulnerability, I think is a a great sign of a a good leader, and so I'll be vulnerable here in this moment. But um, I oftentimes in the evenings drive around our communities and envision what it li- what it means for this community to have everything that it needs for everyone here to prosper mm-hmm. and um that that pulse on community in that di- in, a, in a much different way i think fuels me it fuels me to get up every day to s- give um new meaning to this work to lean in, to bring all the resources that I know I have and that this organization has to um, bring those to bear to be able to change the conditions in which people live their day-to-day lives. And I am on a personal um, um, race to, to make sure that, that folks have what they need in giving of myself. And I know sometimes that in giving of myself, I have to practice self-care, right? And mm-hmm. um, and so I'm being 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 certainly mindful of that, but the work is so serious, and it means so much for me that families walk away having everything that they need and um, to, to make their lives better. I, I stay um, really connected, um, both you know spiritually. Um, I often I, I get my hair cut every Friday, but my hair my barber <laughs> is the pastor. And so just sitting in that moment, um, just being able to talk to him in something that is part of my ritual, right? I need the haircut. (laughs) Um, But me being able to be vulnerable in that space and get some advice and know that this work is not about me. It is not about me and that it's bigger than me. And how do I connect and play into it? And what kind of legacy can I leave um, in, in this community? So there's various different ways, and there's a lot of people that I lean on um, who have um, given me just so much inspiration in this work. Um, and I, for me, it's not it's not title, it's not uh, it's not any of those things of people who I seek advice from. It's just people who will remove all of that and give you the most authentic and best uh, version. Thank you for sharing that, Adair. Um, yeah. It's really wonderful. Um, and then another question I wanted to ask you, you know, change is happening very rapidly right now. Um, it's always happening, but it just feels like it's happening even quicker than um, ever before. And so um, as a leader... 
um, of an organization. How, what, what qualities do you find are um, critical to help guide your staff and your team um, through changes that, you know, your organization is going through um, at various levels as well as your community? Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the things that I've tried to really practice here inside of the organization is, um, and part of leadership to me is defining reality but giving hope for the future. And I have operated from that space um, as a leader in this organization to say, here it is, What this is today. But if you are with me along for the writing, you can entrust and, and give me all of you. I will give you all of me, and this is what our future will look like. And I think that that has really gotten us through as we're trying to manage change inside of the organization, whether they're leadership transitions or funding um, shifts and all of those things and hard decisions that organizations have to make. The other thing is what I've really found to be important is that um, I have to be present, I have to be present and visible during um, during these times, and that staff need to see me. They need, and it's it doesn't have to be well, you know, kind of orchestrated, but they just need to be able to see my presence and know that I care, and that I have compassion towards um, towards this work. And uh, um, I, I think you know I've tried to really maintain composure um, as we're trying to go through change. The other thing that uh, is important is communication. And um, it's kind of, I think I took this from the Alliance, but information liberation, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> staff want to be in the know. They, they want to know as much as you can share. They want to be a vested stakeholder. And mm-hmm. so how do I elevate and make sure that they are in that? And to me, that is communicating with them, telling them the piece that they own in this change kind of management, and then the pieces that I own. And then that collectively we get to, to whatever desired outcome that we seek. And so those are just some of the things that I've been trying to intentionally practice here in the organization of uh, just really, really being present and communicating with staff and um, setting you know, not giving aspirations and big lofty things, but really saying this is the reality today as we go through these shifts and changes. And uh, But here, here's our collective future. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Yes, that all um, resonates with our revolutionary leadership model um, in regards to how to cut those key um, competencies that leaders must have to really lead change. Yeah. Um, Tom, do you have any additional questions for Adair? Yes, I, I do. Uh, specifically following up in the area of changed leadership, spiritual uh, competency, mm-hmm. we have said so often that it's very important uh, if you're going to work in community to be able to hear the voices and hear the stories of the people that you're seeking to serve. What steps have you taken, Adair, to help your staff understand the importance of hearing the voices of the folks you're serving and listening to the stories that they need to tell. Yeah. So um, Pillsbury is quite unique in that we have many of um, staff who um, share the lived experience of those that we're often serving. And so um, when we've placed an intentional focus on hiring people that live within our communities that understand the walk 
um, of those that we're trying to serve um, and that um, have deep empathy with those that we're trying to serve. And um, it's been a value set of this organization to make sure that we hire, and sometimes we elevate that over um, professional and educational experience mm-hmm. because lived experience is so important to this work and um, having the emotional intelligence around the work. Um, so it's uh, not uh, not hard to move this staff in this organization. I had, a, 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 again, another colleague in the organization who came from the corporate world, and he he thought all nonprofits were like this. <laughs> like, well, you know, that was his uh, perception of them um, because we are a diverse and very inclusive staff. Um, and so we've really tried to practice that. Um, you know, it's been difficult uh, to even sometimes separate the line of people who are experiencing um, continued marginalization mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, in our communities and our staff not wanting to lean in fight because they often they empathize or they are the um, uh, there are sometimes um, represent those that are continuing to be disenfranchised, mm-hmm. you know, from our immigrant and uh, Muslim communities or LGBTQ um, communities, um, our, our African American communities, and so that is the fabric of this organization. So we are a collection of just really rich storytellers. <laughs> That's wonderful. It, they say that leadership is always a journey. Adair, what have you learned in your leadership journey that you really wish you would have known when you started all this? Um, I don't know that I, uh, well, <laughs> that I, sleep goes away, um, <laughs> but because um, it has. But, you know, I have really, again, been really fortunate to have a lot of people to be able to lean on. Um, some of the things that I've been taking away with me is that uh, you can't um, define, um, have other people kind of define what your success looks like. And so many times folks will try to, and I've said this to kind of the young leaders in this organization as, I, as I'm a young leader, and saying that people will put parameters and they will put their own expectations on you and put you in boxes. Mm-hmm. And so how do you not kind of succumb to that and become that, right? So you have to continue to be bold and see outside of that. Um, the other thing that I, I think is important um, in this work is that we'll oftentimes uh, equate leadership with age. Mm-hmm. And there are many people in the sector who will see it that way. And I think I serve as a prime example. Everything that you envision for your life is possible. And so... Um, I have tried to really demystify and, and break through that it that leadership is not equivalent to age and making sure that I tell the young leaders and the people who want to be on the front lines and who want to lead that you have a place and a space and actually the sector needs you. They need you now more than ever to be vocal and on the front lines. And so those are some of the things that I'm kind of learning in this journey of leadership and that I've, I've actually had to start to own right? Because I have allowed other people to tell my story. I haven't written it or whatever the case may be. And I've just started to own that you can be an impactful leader sitting in this space and you can actually inspire other, other young leaders. Outstanding. You know, when, when you move into a position as an interim CEO, you find that everyone has advice for you. 
And some of that advice is very helpful, and some is a little less helpful. Of the advice that you've received since you moved into your interim position, what advice have you found that has proven to be most helpful to you? Well, so so again, I, I've I've talked to some pretty um, exceptional leaders, and I and I practice a space of listening and recognizing that everybody's got to have um, an experience that I may be able to pull something from. Um, but I have uh, one of the things that I've found important is to remove my ego from this work. Um, and I've had I think. A lot of questions in my mind as we as we look towards our next leader inside of the organization, and my ego being wrapped up in that, and so freeing myself of that has actually allowed me to do better in this interim role and um, flex all my leadership capabilities and muscles to be able to move this and set this organization up for um, um, continued success. Um, I have really been intentional to say that uh, my career won't be over, <laughs> depending <laughs> on what how things um, how things shake out within our organization. And I think just practicing that kind of mindfulness and that level of freedom um, is reassuring. And so, um, some great leaders have um, shared that advice with me. And and one of the important things I, I um, and I. Again, I learned this at ELI um, for, from Dr. Wooten, uh, of saying, you know, you, you really do have to get in this place of kind of stillness and through and sifting through all of the um, conversations that people have and things that people tell you. And when you get to that place of stillness, um, I think the answers emerge for you. Um, and so I've really tried to pl- practice that level of mindfulness um, and, and get to that very quiet place um, because somewhere in there is the answer, but it's mm-hmm. often clouded by the opinions of others and all the other distractions. And so that, those are the things that I, I, I've taken with me and are taking with me as part of this journey. Excellent. Excellent. We have to take another break. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. White. Her email address is drwhite at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to leadershipmatters at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. We're back. I'm Tom Wall, and with me is Rihanna Absar and our special guest, Adair Mosley, the interim president and CEO of Pillsbury United Communities. In our last segment, uh, Rihanna and I were asking Adair to discuss change leadership. In this final segment, we usually like to turn to our special guests and ask them to offer us some advice, advice to other leaders in the field. Adair, what do you believe the practitioners in our field most need to know about serving communities? Yeah, so I'm really going to lift up one of the core tenets of the human-centered design process, which is empathy. And I think um, our, the practitioners in, this, in our field need to practice more empathy and recognizing that the expert um, around the issue really is the person that's experiencing it. It's the end user. And for us to fully, um, I think, humble ourselves and anchoring ourselves in humility. And in order to do that, we have to be really proximate and close to the issues. And so we have to immerse ourselves in the experience of those that experience it day to day. And so we as a sector need to practice empathy because in empathy, I think we unearth many solutions when we're able to really come up with innovative solutions that move our families forward. But we only get there through the power of empathy. And so that's the one thing that I think our practitioners need to, um, to, it's not, it's not clinical, it's not textbook, it's just really, it's the relationship and the power of being able to experience uh, the lived experience of someone else's. And I think that will um, radically transform the sector if we can practice more empathy. Outstanding. Good answer. We also like to ask our special guests to share a mistake that they might have made that ended up helping them in their careers because of what they learned from the mistake that they made. Adair, can you share a mistake with us that you made that helped you learn something that has served you very well? Yeah, earlier on you were talking, um, yeah, you asked me around kind of what are the, the competencies or the things that I need to continue to develop as an executive leader. And those are the things that probably ended up in this mistake, and so I've learned from them. But um, I see that as one of it is um, just really being able to make a decision. And um, there's been often times that uh, the the lack of decision-making um, has crippled and um, stalled, um, again, innovation and things to be able to move forward. And so I've really been trying to sit in this space of saying, if I have, you know, 
80% of, of the information. How do I be able to act on that in a thoughtful and considerate way after I evaluated kind of the risk, um, risk to it? The, and in, in that, I think that all leaders um, need to really think about those that they, that they surround themselves um, with. And so I've really been on this personal journey of many times saying I'm, I'm trying, I'm, whether it's feeling sorry for people or not wanting to make the tough decisions, and people decisions are the toughest decisions. Yep. Um, and so, uh, but uh, at the expense of an organization and, and I think sometimes we put the people over the organization, which is, and sometimes we have to do that, but it can also um, cripple us. And so I've really uh, learned around forming strategic teams and those that I can leverage everyone's kind of individual talents for the collective of the good. And that's, Mm -hmm. you know, you have to kind of trial by error. And you have to go through some mistakes of being able to um, put people in, in the right seat, on the right, on the bus, in the right seats. And, um, and I think once you're able to leverage and really know that, then it becomes easier over time. So those are just, I think, some early on just kind of mistakes around um, holding on to things too long, not making the decisions um, that really do no one good um, around the work. Excellent. You, you've held a position within your organization where you've been responsible for innovation, Can you talk to us about what you have learned and what other leaders need to consider in the area of innovation? Yeah, again, I'm just I'm just drawing everything from ELI here um, of saying that I I remember early on, you know, um, I can't remember the 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 um, the speaker's name, but where he came in and we actually we went to his place and talked about innovation and saying that organizations have everything, you know, we often say, well, we don't have the resources or, or, um, to do innovation. Well, innovation is the approach. And so it's really about shifting your approach and how you think about the work inside of your organization that emerges new solutions and innovative ideas. And what we've had to do inside of this organization is shift. It's been a paradigm shift around how we serve people. And so from that, innovation has emerged. And so I would really say that um, that has been the key tenet of this work and really embedding that as a culture um, or practice inside of this organization and that you can innovate, you can think differently, you can structure things differently that doesn't look like someone came in and they went through 12 steps and now they're out. Mm-hmm. And so when we, uh, when we continue to ideate and we continue to ask ourselves new questions around the work and um, continue to reframe the question to make sure that we're asking the right question, I think we get through our breakthrough moments. Outstanding. Finally, last question for you, Dear. We like to ask our special guests what lies ahead. Uh, your North Minneapolis project is very exciting. What other exciting projects or new initiatives are in store for Pillsbury United Communities in the future? Yeah, uh, North Market has taught me one thing that, uh, that it's really possible, that we can change um, our communities in a very impactful way. 
um, and you can bring, there are many people out here that want to invest in your ideas and want to be able to leverage the resources of their organizations or individual talents to be able to help to bring your ideas to fruition. So I am trying to bottle that up and um, sell it <laughs> and do more of it um, inside of the organization. I think the future is bright for this organization um, and that the possibility of transformation is really which, within our reach. And it just calls, again, a, a, a shift in thinking. I think this organization is going to start to lean in more around asset creations and making sure that our communities have what they need in order to thrive. And that's only driven by um, um, asking those that live there daily, what do you need? And so I think uh, it's really, again, bright um, for, for the organization, and I hope everyone will um, pay Pay attention and watch. That's wonderful. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thanks, Rihanna Absar, and thanks to our special guest, Adair Mosley, Interim President and CEO for Pillsbury United Communities. Really appreciate the thoughts that you shared with us today, Adair. Please yeah, stay tuned you. next time when we offer another edition of Leadership Matters. Thank you again for tuning in. Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar is broadcast live every Wednesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a wonderful week and make your leadership matter.